Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Ground Control Parenting's focus on parent wellness includes helping parents stay calm and focused on making sure our children have the tools they need to succeed. And my guest today, Wendy Lopez Aflito, is one of the leaders of an organization that is laser focused on this as well. That organization is Learning Heroes, which provides parents with information and resources to help support their children's educational and developmental success. Wendy is the Vice President of Content and Partnerships at Learning Heroes. She is responsible for translating Learning Heroes parent research into actionable content. She also leads many of the organization's partnerships with national and local community organizations, teachers groups, and media organizations. Wendy frequently appears on Univision, sharing advice for Latino families on how to support learning at home and partnering with teachers. A former elementary school teacher, Wendy has 20 years of experience in family engagement, education, and philanthropy. She came to Learning Heroes from American Express, where she worked on the nonprofit leadership development philanthropic platform. Previously, she was with Scholastic for nearly a decade, helping to develop family and community engagement initiatives. So there's a lot of expertise here. (laughs) Wendy is a proud first-generation American, daughter of immigrant parents, and mother of two young daughters. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Wendy. (laughs) Thank you, Carol. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here to talk with us about Learning Heroes, an organization which, as you well know, is near and dear to my heart and your own parenting experiences. So as you know, I love Learning Heroes' mission and vision, which is that if parents are their children's learning heroes, children can excel in school and lead lives of opportunity. So let's get started. Learning Heroes' website is filled with useful parenting information resources, and we're going to talk about them, but it's also devoted a lot of its focus to research. And through this research, it's uncovered a really interesting and important issue relating to how parents understand how well their children are doing in school. Can you start by talking about the kind of disconnect that the research has shown? Yeah. Um, Well, thank you for that lovely intro and overview of Learning Heroes. We start everything we do by first listening deeply to parents. We've done an unprecedented amount of parent research over the last six years. And there is one data point that has ended up being sort of our North Star that we've been tracking over these number of years. And that is that nine in 10 parents, regardless of race, income, or education, believe their child is at or above grade level. Mm-hmm. Nine in 10. And that number is actually ticked up to 92% in our latest research that we're just releasing. For us, this speaks to a really startling disconnect. It also speaks to an opportunity because we really believe that parents are the experts of their children. They need and deserve and want an accurate picture of their child's progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for us, it's been sort of our mission to really dig into understanding what is at the heart of this disconnect. Um, because 92% of parents believing their child is at grade level in comparison with our latest research that shows that only 44% of teachers nationally say that students are arriving at school this year prepared for grade level work. That's a large mm-hmm. disconnect. Yeah. And 44% yeah. of teachers are saying, you know, kids are just not arriving prepared for for that grade level. Um, you know, the other comparison point that we look at is um, national and state data that consistently has been showing that it's nearly a third of our students at grade level. And for many of our black and brown families, that number is even lower. So that's the disconnect that we talk about, right? Mm -hmm. It's really a disconnect between 
the unfortunate reality and how parents are, are perceiving their, their children's progress. And so um, we started digging into the why behind this a few years ago. And um, what we have consistently been tracking is that to a large degree, grades sit at the heart of this. So mm-hmm. parents consistently report, the majority of parents report that their children are getting A's and B's as high as 84% of parents saying their children are getting A's and B's. And they believe those A's and B's mean grade level mastery to no fault of their own, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Whereas teachers tell us very quickly that those grades equate effort even more than mastery. So there's a lot of disconnect happening here and in terms of what these different measures mean. And that's why we think it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity and it feels solvable to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other really telling piece that we've been also tracking is, again, teachers are really aware of what grades mean and what they don't mean. Teachers also tell us that the number one way parents can know how their child is progressing is by being in regular touch with the teacher. Whereas parents say the number one way they are sort of monitoring how their child is progressing as classroom grades. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, both parents and teachers rate parent-teacher conferences as really low value. And that to me, again, speaks to this opportunity as we look as a field um, to continue to support parents um, in ensuring that teachers and teachers say that they want more time to actually top of their list as it relates to family engagement, but making sure that those conferences are structured in a way that there's the time and there's the real opportunity for meaningful, you know, two-way conversation. And, And that's a big part of what we try and do. As you mentioned, my job is to translate the research into actionable tools and resources. And so we have several resources like our parent-teacher planning tool that really strive to support parents and teachers in having, um, in better maximizing those touch points um, Mm -hmm. throughout the year to have that two-way conversation. You've said a lot there. I want to unpack a little of it. First of all, I'm stunned by the statistic of 90% of parents say my child is fine, doing well, and 42% teachers saying no, they're not. And that accounts for why there's such Again, to use this word disconnect, there's such a disconnect when you find that children in some schools are acing things and they, they're not performing up to their grade level. So it really, as you said, it comes down to sort of mastery, which is what parents think the grades mean, and effort, which is what teachers think the grades mean. But as you also said, it's not a question of faults. We don't want to throw parents into a tailspin panic here, particularly because Learning Heroes has a lot of resources that can help solve for it. So, so you talked about the parent-teacher interaction. And one of the things I would love for you to expand on a little is Learning Heroes has definitely taken the bull by the horns on this concept. I mean, everyone says parents should talk more to teachers, but you guys you put really practical ways to do this on your site. Can you talk about the parent-teacher template? I mean, the ways that you have made it easier for parents to figure out how to communicate with teachers? Yeah, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Our intent in sharing this research is not to add to the divide um, that we are living in this moment in time. I feel like a lot of the news sort of puts teachers and parents in, in these different spheres. And really, they're, we want to help them set up to be the really allies, to work together. And so we have, from the ground up, really, listened to parents and teachers to create mm-hmm. something that we call the parent-teacher planning tool. And it's a really simple idea that is meant to support existing opportunities like parent-teacher conferences, even informal touch points. And it really sort of scaffolds and sort of builds where we support the parent with mm-hmm. 
sharing, what are their insights, especially this past year? How has their child perhaps changed? What are they noticing about their child's learning? Where is their child doing well? And where do they need more support? Really prompting parents to know that their observations really, really matter. We also then support teachers in sharing data. Um, you know, teachers have a lot of data at their fingertips. As I mentioned, you know, parents are relying on classroom grades. We want to support parents and teachers in having conversations about the, you know, it's jargon, but it's in the formative and, and benchmark assessments that teachers use throughout the year to mm-hmm. inform classroom instruction. And we really believe that by supporting parents and teachers in looking at that data, again, looking at multiple measures, one of our main goals is to help parents know that there are many different ways that looking at them together can tell them and give them a more holistic picture of their child's progress, not just classroom Mm -hmm. grades. There are these different benchmarks and formative assessments that teachers use, classroom work, and and their own observation, honing their own observation. Mm -hmm. Um, So this tool is really meant to just provide a structure for those conversations, encouraging parents to share what they're seeing, encouraging teachers to share this data that they have their fingertips on. And finally, the third step is coming together to create a really focused plan for that child. And, you know, to steal a line from Sal Khan that he shared last year, you know, this is a year, and I think this is true for me moving forward anyway, as a parent is, it's a year to where less is more. Right. And Mm -hmm. so for us in this tool, we really want to help parents and teachers have a conversation around what are the three things, for example, in math that parents can really focus on those three core skills and having dialogue around what they might be already doing at home Mm -hmm. that is working um, and sharing that with the teacher, because that's important, too. And having the teacher share ideas, resources on how to support those very specific skills at home and then using that plan again to encourage those regular touch points throughout the year. So I love how Learning Heroes gathers up all the research, does the homework, and then presents parents with really, really simple and elegant, I will say, ways to approach it. Like I encourage everyone to look at this parent-teacher template because it literally said it is the format for what you can send to your teacher. Because, you know, parents have a variety of different personalities and some see teachers as as allies and, and part of a team and are they're comfortable with saying, hey, this is what I know about my child. Let's talk about how he or she can succeed. But others are not as comfortable. I mean, they're very busy and and they just don't feel, I mean, they're not teachers and goodness knows after this year, they know they're not teachers. And so they may be even a little intimidated in trying, in feeling like they're trying to tell the teacher what to do. And so you guys take that all away by having these great, very simple, structured ways to to sort of fill in the blanks if you need to, to sort of start the conversations with the teachers. This reminds me of some recent, recent research that evidences a shift in the way that parents look at their relationships with teachers. I mean, it used to be considered a partnership, but didn't you recently discover that its parents are kind of leaning in a different direction? Yeah. I mean, what this latest research, honestly, what the data really all points to, and I think it's a great thing, is that parents are asking for the truth mm-hmm. and they're, they need and they deserve it. So top of the list, having a clear picture of their child's achievement and being direct and truthful about their child's performance 
performance is what parents most want from their schools. Mm -hmm. Um, The good news is that teachers also want this, but they recognize that they need support and training to be able to have those difficult conversations. In fact, only 11% of teachers say that having these conversations around progress is easy, right? So teachers are acknowledging, I think teachers are also hungry for support, um, which we're also trying to do more of. Um, But I think the data point you might be referencing, which for me is the, the North Star for this year and is really telling, is that uh, when we ask parents, teachers, and principals to talk about, in their own words, that what the ultimate goal for family engagement, what are the words that resonate for them as they think mm-hmm. about family engagement? Two words came to the top uh, for all three, and that is trust mm-hmm. and teamwork, mm-hmm. not partnership. Um, mm-hmm. And in the field, you know, I think we talk a lot about partnership. I think back to one of the charter schools where I taught at, and we even went as far as to have a contract with parents. And I think I've been sort of analyzing those. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it was very, it felt very formal. And so to me, you know, trust is so, and, and a lot of the, you know, uh, frameworks and leading research around family engagement, you know, really back this up that trust has to be at the core of parent-teacher partnership. But so it was really enlightening, I think, and, you know, I think motivating for all of us working on behalf of parents and as parents ourselves, right, Mm -hmm. that we all are aligned really in seeing that this is about trust and it's about teamwork. And to me, the teamwork is interesting, right, that it's not partnership because to me, teamwork means that there's a give and take, that you're really emphasizing different roles and, Mm -hmm. and how each role really matters. For me, it's about maximizing parent teachers are unique roles, right? Parents are the experts of our children. We know what makes our children tick. We can ignite learning in a way that only parents can do or only family members, right? Because we see the whole child, right? So we have such an important role on this team, as do teachers. Like you said, you know, parents in in our research this past year, they know they're not teachers and they actually don't want to be teachers. They don't want to be placed in in, in that position. Um, And so it's really about teamwork, maximizing our roles as players. Mm-hmm. on behalf of the child, right? Like that right. is the goal. Absolutely. So I want to back up a minute before I do, I should say. So certainly advocating for your child in a way that helps you feel you and the teacher feel part of a team seems like a good way to move, particularly in these times when the relationship between parents and teachers in light of all they've had to do for the past year plus are really fractured. I, I want to back up a little. I had to keep going back to this startling statistic, but but I think we can really grow and learn from it. This disconnect between sort of how parents are not really seeing the whole picture if they just look at their child's grades and say that that's all. So you, you've mentioned this already about trusting your gut and, and parents. Learning Heroes really believes that parents are the experts of our children, as you just said. So can we talk more about trusting this gut? First of all, there's this temptation. I mean, a lot of parenting feels like trusting your gut, but I I feel as if learning heroes are saying, trust your gut, but have an informed gut, (laughs) not just sort of what feels good in the moment. And you guys give a lot of methods and resources and tips on how to do that. So one of them, which is one of my favorites, which I understand you were principal in creating is something called the readiness check. So backing up, say I'm a parent and I've just heard the statistic and I was like, okay, so I don't, I can't rely on grades. How do I know how my kid's doing? Can you talk a little about sort of the instincts that parents have that their child may be struggling and then what they can do about them with the readiness check? Yeah, I think trusting your gut. I mean, this is the Latina mom in me. Um, so I think one of my strengths, uh, my superpowers is my gut. I think that's just a, a parent superpower, right? That we want to hone, right? Um, like you said, it's about 
trusting that instinct, right? Because we know our child so well, and we've been, especially this past year, as I mentioned, just observing them, right? And have had really a front row seat at their their learning and their development, right? Their social emotional um, development. But for us, it's also when we talk about when I say you know trust your gut, it's also about the observation piece. And so, as you mentioned, we have been leaning into this 90% really wanting to help parents know that there are multiple measures, lots of different ways. And so when we were exploring what was out there, what we saw is that there really was a gap in terms of helping parents truly hone in on their own observations and knowing what those key skills that are necessary for grade level success. And so we were really fortunate to partner with Dr. Freddie Ebert on the reading side, who has devoted her life and research to finding the right text for struggling readers, and Jason Simba on the math side, who uh, wrote the Common Core State Standards and is a founder at SAP. So we worked with leading experts basically to create a mobile-friendly, easy-to-use digital tool that helps parents in about 10 to 15 minutes get a sense of how their child has progressed with grade level skills in a really concrete skill specific way. And at the end of the tool, at the basically the child answers three to five questions in reading and math. And at the end, what I think is most innovative about it is you get really detailed information about how your child might have worked through that problem, different strategies they might have used. There's even drawings of his children um, working through the problem, detailed information sort of at the kitchen table kind of, you know, ways that you can work through and explain these skills. And then in addition to that, we have curated grade level skill specific resources, videos to not just practice, but also learn in in some cases, you know, relearn or review these skills. And so it doesn't put the pressure on the parent, right? Because we know that consistently, you know, math homework rises to the top in terms of, you know, parents stress. A lot of, you know, parents say, you know, I wasn't taught math this way. And so we're really trying to support parents and leaning into, you know, everyday moments for sure, because we know that, you know, reading and math comes to life in a really powerful way in those everyday moments, but in sort of very concrete ways to teach and practice grade level skills. Let me tell everyone who is listening about how cool this readiness check is. It goes from K to eight. So, so they're, they're English and math questions, just a handful for each grade. And, and as Wendy said, it's designed to give you a sense of whether your child has mastered these topics. And what the experts have determined is if they can get all these answers right, they probably have a pretty good grasp of what they were supposed to learn. So in theory, you would give it at the beginning of the, next grade so that you could just make sure that they've gotten what they were supposed to get the grade past. So, but by the time I got, I got to see this, all my kids were way past eighth grade, but I took these tests because I wanted to see what it would be like. And first of all, it was incredibly humbling <laughs> when you get to eighth grade math, <laughs> no joke, <laughs> but for someone like me, I mean, I'm sure there are math whizzes out there where it'd be no issue, but first of all, it was humbling. And secondly, the coolest part about it was that you were humbled in the answering of the questions because you weren't sure. But when you get to the end, because you're, you're supposed to, your child's supposed to take the test sort of on their own and then you help them interpret the answers. It's not one of these stress-filled things where they go off and test and then they get a grade. 
But the, the coolest thing is that when they give you the right answer, it gives you tips on how to talk to your child about the part that they're missing. And it makes you sound like you know what you're talking about, even if you didn't when you were answering the question. And I would definitely advise all of you, before you give this to your children, take yourself. I mean, even second grade. It's really, it's so interesting to see how the questions are and what your kids have to do. So in a sense of, you know, going back to the observation piece, our goal with it was, you know, because there there are quizzes out there, right? There's great content out there. But our goal with this was to also raise awareness about what those grade level skills are. Again, in response to the research, parents want to have a sense of what's expected this year, right? So we wanted to really break it down for them. Here are the, you know, five skills in math that, for example, my daughter just started second grade. So like you said, at the beginning of the year, we take the first grade. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just share candidly, my daughter needs to work hard at math, right? So mm -hmm. we're still working on some first grade skills. And I let her know that there's no shame in that, but we need to build that foundation in order for her to be able to take on new skills in second grade. And so we really want to raise parents' awareness, again, in response to what they want on what these skills are, what they look like, what do they look like at the kitchen mm -hmm. table in everyday life? And then again, how can they continue to support at home, especially after this past year of disruptive learning? There are two things that come to mind when I, I hear you talk about this. First of all, talking to your daughter about there being no shame. I mean, I, I definitely, I want to get into that concept of embracing struggle. But before we get there, it just strikes me that there's a tendency to panic, frankly, when you see that your child is struggling. I mean, in that you kind of really hope it's all going well. And when they're struggling, first of all, nobody likes to see their child, you know, unhappy for any reason, but also there's this tendency, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but I've anecdotally heard this, this sense, like, if my child is not getting this, this is doom. I mean, this is a bad thing. It's really something to be worried about. But actually, this concept, and, and you coined this phrase that I really love called productive struggle. I mean, this concept that you can teach your child struggle is good. I mean, struggle is important. There's no shame and it shouldn't. A lot of our children lose confidence in themselves when, particularly if they're good at some things and then they run into something they're not good at, that it means something bad about them. But if we as parents can take a step back from our own kind of instinctive reaction and, and our own over-identification with how we felt when we were their age <laughs> and, and just help them focus on the task at hand. And I mean, you, you talked about the math things. What kind of things have you been doing with your daughter to help her get better in math? Yeah, I am certainly living it for sure this past <laughs> year. I'm in it with, with all our fellow parents and couldn't agree more that there is such important life skills, so many, right? Like mm -hmm. perseverance, persistence, you know, creativity, uh, critical thinking. There's so much that can happen when we support our kids in really understanding, I guess, and embracing, as you mentioned, productive struggle. And I have to say, I can't know, know if that I can coin that because I know there's been lots of research and support for teachers in, in using that in classrooms. But I think that there are, you know, some strategies that uh, very concretely that parents can use in, again, in the context of home, right? Not, not having to mirror, you know, what happens in the classroom, but, you know, for example, guiding children with questions, right? That don't give them the answer, but support them in getting there. And it's interesting that we talk about struggle because for me, we do a lot of deep work with parents and understanding how they, how language uh, resonates with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like, and you touched on this, struggle can have a negative connotation, right? Like, and I think especially for, you know, many of our black and brown families or low income families, I know thinking back to my childhood, I don't think my, like my parents did struggle for real, 
right? Like they didn't want us to struggle. That's why they worked so hard, right? Um, so my parents use more terms like, you know, learning from your challenges, learning from, you know, mistakes. And so I think the framing also really matters in breaking it down. So concrete strategies, you know, asking, you know, how else can you approach this? For my daughter with math, I often ask her, can you think of another problem that was maybe similar and how you approached it? For her, she's she's discovered what what she's starting to discover and it's beautiful to see what strategies in math work for her and some of them are not the ones that she was taught last year right so she's mm-hmm. still figuring it out but prompting her with questionings um i think encouraging i think a big role that parents can play is that of a cheerleader and finding what kind of language you know makes them tick so for my daughter like she's really into like you know girl power right now so like we can power through this that's like her line you got this you know just figuring out like you know and you can see in their reactions when their eyes sort of light up you know i think another strategy in terms of supporting our kids is giving them the time and this can be hard right for when we're i feel like we're just in a time of go, 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 or, you know, we're working parents, kids have all of, you know, they're back in their activities, thank God, but giving them the time and letting them know that it's okay, not rushing them. For me, also, it's like knowing when it's time to say, okay, we're going to come back to this. So for example, the other night, um, multi-step addition problems and subtraction, I've been really tripping my daughter up and she gets frustrated. And so the other night we were working on a problem and I just saw that, you know what, she's not going to get this tonight mm-hmm. and it's frustrating her. And, sh- and I could just tell that she was shutting down. So paying attention to nonverbal cues. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what, let's work on this tomorrow. And I, and I made sure for me, this is really important that we ended the night by, you know, she's a beautiful reader and writer. So she read to me, um, you know, a bit before, because I didn't want her to end the night that way. So just, you know, giving them time, but knowing when it's time to to take a break, those are all some things that we can really do to support them. And, you know, I think when things start to click for them, because they figured it out, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. I want to just take a step back just to talk a little bit about something that I myself was just guilty of. I I talked about people who are math whizzes, and that feeds into this kind of construct, which is not all that healthy, that thinks of people as math people versus non-math people. And one of my podcast guests, David Coleman, talks about um, how frustrated he is. He's the head of the college board, and he's also done a lot of research on on testing and and, how how students can shine. He's so frustrated about how people are um, afraid of math. Adults are afraid of math. And if their children are having any kind of issues in math, there's this sort of sense of, as opposed to trying to figure out how to solve them, there's this closing the ranks of, oh, you must not be a math person. And he jokingly or not so jokingly says, you know, people don't say my child's not a reader. I mean, they don't say that kind of proudly, <laughs> but people will say my child's not a math person. So all of this is to say that we should try to eliminate that perspective, regardless of however we did in math, we should eliminate that perspective and view math skills, just like reading skills, as things that are skills and, and that can be learned, will be learned. And it takes this concept of mastery. It takes repetition. It takes creative thinking, as you described, as to how to um, help your child see things differently. And it takes that gut, knowing that gut when your child's about to have a meltdown, (laughs) that no matter what, you can just stop. I mean, at the end of the day, their their self-confidence, which is what you're trying to really build up here, is, is not being helped by sitting at the table 
under stress until you get the the issue. But but that leads me to something else that I want to just talk to you about. Um, and that is this concept that you hear all around uh, in, in parenting circles about the importance of letting your children fail. So I have to say that I've got a perspective on this, which isn't part of the popular one. And, and I actually think that, well, I appreciate that you don't want to be that parent that always cushions your child no matter what happens. This concept of um, letting your child fail to me is a luxury that I'll just say that for black and brown parents that I don't know that I don't feel comfortable with that as a as a directive because for so many of us who haven't had um, this leg- long legacies of education, failure failure has a lot of um, um, actual failure can put your child behind, can make them lose confidence. There's so much that's around it. I mean, what what are you thinking? What are your thoughts about the concept of letting kids fail? I think there's different degrees of Mm -hmm. failing, right? So what we were talking about earlier in terms of struggle and sometimes, you know, getting the wrong answer until you, you figure it out, I think that's a small degree of failure, but I am with you. You know, my parents worked really hard um, to ensure that we were in, you know, a good school district and education was the priority. And thinking back, like failure, I don't want to say that it wasn't choice, but we were here to succeed as a family. And I also think, so this is where sometimes I think language also matters, right? I think I agree with you that sort of the headlines, you know, over the past few years, like, you know, failure, so many news headlines and books around, you know, failure is the road to, you know, success. And I also think that context matters. And I think this is what Mm -hmm. you were starting to talk about in terms of, it does feel like it can come from a place of privilege in that, you know, if you're in an affluent family with lots of resources, your children can let your children fail, they're going to bounce up into a community of resource, right? Of, mm-hmm. of affluence, of privilege, of opportunity. For many of our black and brown families and our low-income children, that's not the case, right? If you mm-hmm. fail, that's there's going to be real consequence for that. So I'm with you. I, I agree. I also think that, you know, I would love to sort of build on what you were saying earlier in terms of confidence. I think that for many of our communities and, and children, being really intentional about the right balance between struggle and failure and and building confidence. So struggle can build confidence because you have that self-agency and you have figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but failure alone, right, can really be crushing, right, to confidence. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give a very small example, and certainly this is not on failure in, in the context that, that you're talking about, but, you know, I mentioned that my daughter has um, struggled with math this year and we transitioned to a new public school and there was lots of change. I have been really intentional to also make sure that she has opportunities to shine in the areas that she is naturally really, I think, brilliant at and Mm -hmm. that build her confidence. She is a beautiful little artist. I think she has that in her gene. Both of her abuelas and her Mimi, her grandmother, um, are beautiful artists. And, you know, if you ask her, like, what's your thing? She says art immediately and she lights up. Um, and so I'm really grateful. I found a great little community uh, art class re- recently. We heard, it, we actually learned about it from our neighbor. Which, just side note, research note: most parents find out about their, you know, sort of out of school time programs from word of mouth. So keep talking to your network of parents about opportunities in your community because there are so many. But for her, that little art program has been—I didn't even say little—has been a really a big highlight in the school year so far. 
Wow, that that's really great. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about this this concept of failure. And I mean, when your child is struggling with something, there's a good chance that they're not going to succeed. They're going to not pass a test or they, you know, there's some indication that how you know they're struggling is that they're not doing well. But I think that our reaction to seeing a bad grade, a failed grade, is is something that we need to check. I mean, I, I know my instinctive reaction was to be upset, to be concerned. But I remembered something. My father, who had many professions and, and in his early days, he was a teacher. And he used to say, if my students fail, that means I failed. And that concept, I wish it had stuck with me more <laughs> over the course of my parenting. But if you think about it, your child bringing home a test that has a failing grade on it means only that they did not understand the material. Now, let me just say, if they did not understand the material because they spent all their time playing video games and no time studying, that's a different conversation <laughs> that, that you need that you certainly need to have with your child. But if they studied and failed. The next step is not blame or anger, but it's working together to figure out what can happen next. I mean, it's hard to not let sort of fault and blame kind of seep into this, but it's really important. And I'm, I'm speaking as if I got this right. I certainly did not get this right, but it's easy to advise and it is to do. But seriously, when, um, you know, when we were just talking about the importance of learning to fail, I think parents should think about the importance of reacting to failure because that can really impact your child's confidence. And the other weird thing is that it also sets up a a very strange dynamic that it's bad when you fail, it's great when you get a good grade, and that's so independent of whether you're actually getting the material. (laughs) It takes it away from what's going on, how much you're retaining. So anyway, just another quick tip to try not to sort of personalize these failures or let your child personalize the failure. Yeah. And that's where like, you know, I think, again, it's the context in which this message of failure and how it's, I guess, leveraged talking about the process, as you just said, it's the process of learning, right? It's Mm -hmm. that journey of learning that matters. It's what we learned from those failures, from those, you know, mistakes. And so, you know, one thing that I've been doing with my daughter is, again, trying to encourage her to work through where she's struggling in math as also look, helping her see how far she's come. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And this is also something really concretely and simple that parents can do. So uh, her reading and her writing has taken off. And so I'll sometimes pull out like her kindergarten journal and she's like, wow. And and I don't even have to say anything. And she Mm -hmm. just sees like how far she's come because she's worked hard and she alone can connect those dots. Right. Mm -hmm. In terms of seeing how she's working and what she's learning in the process um, as she builds her math skills. Yeah, no, that's really important. So, Wendy, I could chat with you about this all this for <laughs> for quite some time, but but I, I think it's been really helpful to hear both what Learning Heroes offers and how practically and and, and actually you and and other parents can benefit from them. Let me just say that. When one visits the Learning Hero site, which is, remind me, it's BeALearningHero.org? Is that BeALearningHero.org. Right. When you visit it, it's a beautifully constructed site. There's lots and lots and lots of resources. I want to make sure that parents don't feel overwhelmed by the amount of things that the site offers them to do. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about Sal Khan's advice, less is more. So can you give us the guidelines for how to best use the site and move through the materials? You talked about focusing on specifics. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. So at a really high level, the website BeALearningHero.org is organized by audience, right? So if you're a parent, there's information for you on the homepage, or you can also click up where it says for parents and families. If you're an educator too, there is a tab for you um, at the top. And so you can navigate there. And so at those drop downs, our goal really with the site is to provide what we call snackable bits of information. So concrete tips and actions that parents can take at key points points throughout the school year and that you could read sort of in a one pager, right? And then if they want to go deeper on a specific topic that they see, then we have more information. We have more in-depth tools, you know, like the readiness check, even though it's, you know, it's still only a couple of minutes. We have growth mindset kits that really support parents um, on the social emotional side. We have videos uh, that show parents what those grade level skills look like. And um, we've partnered, for example, with WNET, who's a great partner of ours on parenting minute videos that highlights real parents, you know, and strategies that they use to support everything from, you know, math in everyday context to social emotional learning. Um, So we really try to, again, it's like short videos, snackable bits of information, but then opportunities for you, depending on what your need is at that key point of the year or in that key moment of the day to go deeper. Mm -hmm. Great, great. So, So parents, you can focus on the foundational skills and perhaps those your children haven't mastered yet. And look for those specific resources to help. Don't try to tackle too many things at once. Because the goal of Learning Heroes, as I understand it, is to help you become calm and focused, not to give you more things to worry about. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, our focus, uh, again, leaning into what we're hearing from parents, is to help parents have a sense of the different ways they can find out how their child is progressing, what have a sense of expectations this year, how their child is progressing, um, and to really partner or, or team up with their child's teacher to maximize their role at home. Great, great. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. And I'm sure that everyone listening really appreciates uh, your experiences, both as a leader of Learning Heroes and your own experience as a mom. And that I hope everyone will turn to Learning Heroes as a trusted source to help their kids succeed. So there's one more thing before we go. And that is you have to play the GCP lightning round. I have four quick questions for you. So are you ready? Ready. (laughs) Okay. First, tell me your favorite poem or saying. Uh, yeah, so that's hard. I'm going to quickly try and say two. The first is um, from Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a mm-hmm. Colombian poet and author. And I love, I recently read it again in, in the context of having young children. It's really struck me again. And that is, it is not true that people stop pursuing their dreams because they grow old. They get old because they stop pursuing their dreams. And I just think it's such oh, an I love that. Poem. <laughs> um, the other one I have to say, you know, I have to look up the original source because I, I don't think it's my dad, but I know it from my dad. Um, and that is that work uh, isn't work if you love what you're doing. Um, and um, I really take that to heart for me. And I think for most parents, like if we can raise our children to find what they love to do in life, um, that is a you know, huge gift. Oh, those are great. Okay. Two children's books, either ones you grew up with or ones that you like to read with your daughters. Yeah. So one that I grew up with and that I love to read with my daughters, it's classic, is Where the Wild Things Are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the second, which just came out this year, which I love, we love reading at home and I've been gifting um, to my friends, is by Cleo Wade, What the Road Said. Ah, oh. A beautiful book about oh. just life and decisions and 
um, beautiful metaphors. And we're also, we love to hike and we love the outdoors. So it's just lots of, um, yeah, it just really resonates. Great. Okay. So two mommy moments, um, a moment when you kind of, you would like to have a do-over or you sort of questioned your skills? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, you know, I have to be honest. I think for me, it's not just one moment, but I think in the, over the past year, mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's hard to admit this as, as a, as a mom, um, you know, there were points where just tensions were high. I was frustrated. I was tired. And especially with my youngest, who is now four, but was, mm-hmm. you know, two and a half in the beginning of the pandemic. She's a very different child than my older one, you know, was having trouble managing her emotions and having lots of temper tantrums. And there were moments where I was short with her and was in the moment rather than thinking about the long game. And we've, we've figured it out, <laughs> but um, I felt like I was a new mom. I think going back to gut and your instinct is knowing who, you know, the difference between your children and what they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's really important. And the ability to have that moment and then move, fr- learn from it, move on. And because they'll trust me, I can tell you at my age and stage, there'll be a lot of those moments. <laughs> and then finally, a moment when you knew you had this mother stuff down where you just nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, for me, you know, it's like, I think it's like in the little moments, the everyday moments where you hear your kids say something, right? And you're like, oh, wow, that really stuck. And so I'll just share one short story, also a COVID moment that um, will be a memory near and dear to my heart forever is it was the spring and, you know, we'd already been, you know, on lockdown for a while. And both my kids were home. And as I mentioned, my oldest loves art and painting. And so they were both painting. And my littlest got really frustrated because she wasn't able to do what my older one was doing. Mm-hmm. And she was literally started having a temper tantrum and was like, you know, throwing the, the the paintbrushes. And my oldest just turned to her in this like beautifully, you know, empathetic way. And she opened up the paper towel where they had been wiping the paintbrush and the paint. Mm-hmm. And she said, but look, Al, look at this beautiful art that you made. And it was beautiful. I actually have it framed in our, <laughs> in our dining room. Um, look at this beautiful art that you made and you didn't even realize it. And she snapped her out of ha- her you know, moment of frustration. Mm-hmm. And for me, it just spoke to two things that I really try hard to uh, ingrain in my kids is that it's the process. And, you know, for particularly where we really love art, like my oldest, like if there's leftover paper, she's like, what can we do with this? Right? Like she's always looking at like the different angle. And, but it was, she responded to it so quickly. And with such empathy that that for me, I was, you know, upstairs and I heard the town, I was coming down to like, you know, frustrated in my head, like what's going on. And I heard it and my heart just melted. Like she gets it. She gets what I'm trying to convey. That is a beautiful story and a perfect one to end on a great mommy moment. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us. I can't thank you enough. And thank you for your work with Learning Heroes because it's making a huge difference in, in the lives of parents. So thanks so much. Thank you, Carol, so much. Thanks for your support. And thanks for doing this podcast. Such a great resource for parents. Great. Thanks. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.